What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to, or watching as the case may be, Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. We're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. Today, we're going to talk about some lessons we can learn from Simon the Sorcerer, or at least the account of Simon the Sorcerer. I got cut off uh, mid-sentence yesterday because of the power outage, but we're going to pick up where we left off, and we're going to look at a couple of more things that we can garner from Simon the Sorcerer. There will be some overlap. Uh, we did talk about uh, once saved, always saved, just a little bit yesterday, but we're gonna we're gonna revisit that and uh, kind of give an overview, or excuse me, kind of give a review, and then look at once saved, always saved, and one more thing that I wanted to bring out, and then we'll be done with the parts one and two of the account of Simon the Sorcerer. Now, if you would like to support us as podcasters. The way to do that is in the show notes. You can go to buy me a coffee. You can go to Patreon. You can also uh, go to www.nearchurches at gmail.com and you can use that and send money to our PayPal. Uh, that's just a one-time donation. You won't have to do anything else. Uh, we'll get the money. And we're currently in the process of uh, gathering some equipment so we can uh, better furnish Aaron's studio down in Arkansas. So thank you for that. And I know some of you have sent money to the PayPal. Some of you have become uh, patrons and some of you have subscribed to Substack. Thank you for that. And I did a, 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 a thank you video today. Usually once a week, I do a video, a piece of content exclusive to our supporters that didn't get that didn't get done last week, and it was supposed to get done Thursday, but I had to wait to do it till today. So, just forgive me in advance for that. Um, before we get into the podcast, we do would like to hear we would like to hear, hear a word from our sponsor. Are you part of a church congregation seeking effective ways to spread the word about your event? Well, look no further. Lindsay Dotson specializes in designing modern advertisements for churches. Whether it's flyers, postcards, or social media graphics, Lindsay has got you covered. Reach out through a private message on Facebook or send an email to lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com for more details. Don't miss this opportunity to make your message resonate far and wide. Contact Lindsay Faye Dotson today. Um... Oh, ain't that the truth? Yeah, if anybody needs a good handbook for evangelism or church growth, the book of Acts is the book to use. Yeah, I, there's been there's been a whole lot of books rise and fall in popularity over the course of the years when it comes to church growth and evangelism and uh, stuff like that. I tell you what, the book of Acts is the best one. Um, seriously, just. We, we need, as a group of people collectively, to quit focusing so much on books about the book and just dig our nose, put our nose into the book itself. 
the Bible sheds so much light on those commentaries and workbooks. Anyway, that's all I got to say about that. And that doesn't mean I think you need to get rid of your commentaries. That just means we need to, we need to place the proper emphasis on God's holy word, which brings us today. Actually, let me, let me do this number. Uh, don't forget about the Christianity Now Facebook group. Join the Christianity Now Facebook group, and we'll see how that grows as we go. Um, all right, so from yesterday, we, we talked about Philip preached Christ, the things concerning the kingdom, and the name of Jesus. All right, so from two different verses in Acts chapter 8, we see what is preached and I made the point yesterday that if we're not preaching the whole counsel of God, then we are falling short of what God wants us to do. We are in transgression. We're in sin. We have to preach the whole counsel of God. And as some of our detractors would like to say, well, we just need to preach more Jesus. We just need more Jesus. Like, what do you mean by that? If you, and, and, and I tell you what a lot of people mean by it, they say stuff like, well, I just focus on the book, the words of my Bible that are written in red. I'm like, listen, if all you do is focus and preach what Jesus said and taught while he's on earth, then you by default are not preaching and teaching the whole counsel of God. Because John, uh, yeah, John chapter 16, I believe it's verse 12. We'll see. Oh, John 16, verse 12. My bad. Yeah, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Folks, that's not our mail. That's the apostles' mail. The Spirit of truth will guide the apostles into all truth. And then the apostles and the inspired writers of the first century are going to write it down. And then we will have our complete canon of scripture, which is referred to in first Corinthians chapter uh, 13 as that, which is perfect. But the point is, if all you preach and teach is the words in your Bible written in red, then you by default, by Jesus's own explicit statement, you're not preaching and teaching the whole counsel of God. Hello, Missy Malone. Good to see you. And John Exum says, I agree with that. Awesome. Now, and hello, Tony and everyone, Missy says, hello to you. Now, let's keep going. This is Acts chapter 8. All right. So we, we understand who Simon is. So verse nine, but there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that he himself was some great one to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest saying, this man is the great power of God. And to him, they had regard because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. So though they believed G Philip 
preaching the things concerning the kingdom and the name of Jesus Christ, they believed and were baptized. The book of Mark, chapter 16, verse 16 says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. So these people were saved. All right. Terry Crooks, how do you deal with people interpreting the Bible in ways that contradicts its teaching? It's very frustrating teaching them with the scriptures we're all reading. Uh, it is very, very frustrating. Uh, the main thing that we would need to do is be very, very proficient in putting scriptures in its context. I believe that when you place scriptures in their context, both in the context of the chapter, both in the, well, first off, you, you put a phrase in context of a complete sentence, a complete sentence in context of a paragraph, a complete paragraph in context of the epistle or book as a whole, and the book as a whole in context of the overarching theme of scripture. Okay. And that takes some practice. Like that's not an that's not an easily developed skill, and not quite frankly, not everybody can do it. Um, there's some there's some passages of scripture in the book of Matthew that clearly have nothing to do with the second coming of Jesus. That people read them and they pull them from their context and they apply them to the second coming of Jesus because the language sounds the same. You take the book of Revelation, for instance, and the book of Daniel and the book of Ezekiel. All three of those have, and the book of Jeremiah, the book of Isaiah, four or five, all of those have apocalyptic language. Well, apocalyptic language sounds very similar. So that's why context is key. Uh, take, for instance, if you're dealing with somebody that thinks this 144,000 um, is going to be saved and the 144,000 is literal. Um, you know, you can just go to Revelation chapter 7. And let's see, let's see if we can do something really, really quickly. All right. After these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor the sea, nor any tree. And I heard another angel. Whoa, uh -oh, is it four? Is it seven or is it 14? I think it's, uh, hold on. Yeah, right here, verse four of chapter seven. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and they were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah, Judah was sealed 12,000 of the tribe of the tribe of the tribe, so on and so forth. All right. So who are the 144,000? I've lost my mind here. I think if you'll lick your finger and turn right and you'll go to chapter, I feel like it's chapter 14. Yeah, let's go to chapter 14 and let's see if the context can help us with the 144,000. And I looked and lo, a lamb stood before the Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as of many waters and a voice of great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with harps. And they sung as it were a new song 
the before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. So who is the one hundred and forty four thousand? Well, these are they which are not defiled with a woman. How do you know they're not defiled with a woman? Because if I'm married and I was a virgin on my wedding night, I've and I and and even though I have children, I've never been defiled with a woman because marriage is honorable and all in the bed undefiled according to Hebrews chapter 13. But the reason we know they were undefiled with a woman is because they were virgins. So if you're in the church and you consider yourself to be redeemed of God and you consider the 144,000 to be literal, then you've got a problem because if you're not a virgin, then you're not redeemed of God. So that's one way to use the context to take care of that little quibble. I remember talking to Jehovah's Witnesses and the Jehovah's Witnesses talk about the 144,000 as those who will be in heaven. And now that that role is full and exhausted, then if you're right with God, you're going to live on earth, on the, on the new heaven and new, on, the, on the new earth, on the renovated earth. And I'm like, wow, you know, you can just keep changing scripture. Sometimes, um, I, can't, I can't remember, sometimes, Terry, whenever you're talking to people, you just have to kind of learn when to wipe your feet and go away because you'll lay out something that's very, very logical. Like, for instance, we had a person in the comment section yesterday that said, well, you can't lose your salvation. And so after we get a good definition of terms, my response was, did you not listen to the reading of, of the book of Acts? Simon the sorcerer believed and was baptized, just like the other people in Samaria believed and were baptized. They were saved. Both If, if Simon the sorcerer wasn't truly saved, then the other Samaritans wasn't truly saved. Well, the only... The only defense to that is, well, it just doesn't mean what you say it means. That, that's the same thing as saying, well, your mama's dog is ugly. Like, the Bible, the Bible doesn't teach that baptism saves you. I'm like, listen, there's an explicit statement, regardless of how we interpret it, regardless of the nuance, explicitly the phrase baptism doth also now save us is in the scriptures. So therefore I have to conclude that there is at least the same amount of evidence that says we are saved by baptism as there is that we're saved by grace through faith. Now it's up to me to figure out how those two ideas are in harmony with, an, with, with one another because they are in harmony with one another. They're both inspired. Terry Crook says, I stopped attending ladies' meetings because it was frustrating me to the point of feeling isolated because I'm the only one disapproving of their feelings. Yeah, the feelings, man. It's Feelings are a hard thing for me. I'm 46 years old now, and I am very much more empathetic than I used to be. I've always been empathetic. I mean, I'm not a sociopath. I've always been empathetic, 
but now I'm, I'm, I feel much more deeply and I've, I mean, I'll see something that's on TV or something like that. And I mean, it'll, it'll make me tear up. I'll cry. I'm getting soft in my old age, but I'm still like, it blows my mind whenever we're having a logical, rational conversation when people start using feeling words. I'm like, listen, the facts do not care about feelings. Now, it is true that, that feelings also do not care about facts. But I can't trust my feelings. I can trust the facts. And that's, that's where we've got we've to bridge that gap. People who are more reasonable and logically minded need to, need to mitigate the, the friction between the facts and the feelings, I suppose. Oh yeah. Terry says they keep saying the spirit talks to them personally. Well, there's a problem with that and they'd have to prove it. I'm I'm sorry that you're going through that. All right. Yeah. Most isms are just anums according to Billy Bland. So again, just take heed into thyself, Terry and, and, and keep acting right and doing right. And I understand why you wouldn't want to go to those ladies' meetings. All right. So, verse 13 of Acts chapter 8. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now, I think it's very, very interesting to talk about once saved, always saved here. So, it is, it is purported in Christendom. Some exegete whilst others exit Jesus. It is purported by some in Christendom that once a person is truly and really saved, in other words, once someone is truly and really delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear son, that they cannot fall from grace. And I'm like, do we have to go anywhere? Like we can just stay in Acts chapter eight and prove that wrong. But when I go to Galatians and, and Terry, this is, this reminds me of what you're dealing with. You know, how do you, how do you help people understand the scriptures whenever they just say, well, that's not what it means. I know that's not what you typed, but that's the, that's the sense that I got from, from what you said. Um, all right, listen to this. Galatians chapter five, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again under the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever you are. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Now, by virtue of the fact that that phrase, ye are fallen from grace, we can look at that grammatically. It is a, it, it, it's, a, it's a participle phrase. It denotes a state of being and, a, and, is, and, is, and is descriptive of a person who is currently in a fallen state and from where they have fallen is grace. 
which means they once were in grace. Now they are out of grace. Folks, we might not know exactly what this means. We might not know the 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 one hundred percent full uh, nuanced interpretation of this passage of scripture. But what we do know, just at a surface reading, from only what the grammar and definition of terms tell us, is that a person can fall from grace. A person can be one who has fallen from grace. Now we've got to change our whole theology if we're honest. You have people that were once with grace, now they're from grace. They're in grace, now they're from grace. How, I mean, well, you can't lose your salvation and, and, and you can you can give 10 or 15 verses of scripture that sound like, yeah, man, you know, salvation is eternal. But I have to interpret all of those through this phrase that Paul uses, ye are fallen from grace. So I have to concede that there is a scenario that can be crafted that if I do whatever that scenario entails, I can be counted as one who has fallen from grace. Folks, that's ungetoverable. Yeah, once they're, yeah. I jokingly say to some who are clean shaven that once they're shaved, they're always shaved, but that's joking and not serious. I mean, it shows the ridiculousness of the position. All right. So let's notice, let's, let's, let's go back to Acts chapter eight and look at Acts chapter eight, verse 13. Then Simon himself believed also. So he believed just like the other Samaritans did. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Regardless of what you think about the necessity of baptism, Mark 16, 16, Jesus himself teaches that this man is saved. And by virtue of the fact that the word also is there, that means that the other people there are saved as well. Now, let's keep reading. Let's see if he can fall away. Now, when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hand the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Folks, this is where Simon loses it. When I say loses, I mean he goes from a saved state to a lost state. He is a servant of righteousness because he believed and obeyed, was baptized, 
And then because he decided to rebel in that moment, he now became a servant of sin. He, he was in bondage of iniquity. You cannot be in bondage to iniquity and saved at the same time. Let's keep going. Verse 20, but Peter said unto him, thy money perish with thee because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. And here's Peter, an inspired man, saying, your heart isn't right in the sight of God. Folks, if your heart's not right in the sight of God, are you saved? I think of the song we sang, Hast thine affection been nailed to the cross? Is thine heart right with God? Dost thou count all things for Jesus but, Jesus but lost? Is thine heart right with God? That's a good question to ask. Is your heart right with God? The, the answer to the rhetorical question, or excuse me, the, the, the solution to the, to the rhetorical question, if, if the answer is no, the solution is make your heart right with God. Well, Peter tells him right here. Um, But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Uh, thou hast neither part nor light in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. So we know from 22 that he's in sin. If if he hadn't have stepped outside the flow of blood, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, if he hadn't have stepped outside the flow of blood, he wouldn't have needed forgiving. But now he's got to confess his sin, and he's got to repent of his sin, and he's got to bring forth fruit meat for repentance. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray God. I think the fruit meat for repentance here was the praying to God if the thought of thine heart might be forgiven thee. So I think, I think the repentance, he's changed his mind. And based on that change of mind about the sin and the thought of your heart, now you're going to go to God and you're going to say, almighty father in heaven, please forgive this action that I've committed because of the thought in my heart. I, I've, I've thought to purchase the gift of God with something as common as money. And I know that this isn't in your plan. Now, verse 24, Simon, he sussed this out. He said, and then answered Simon and said, pray ye to the Lord for me that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So we see that Simon believed and was baptized, and Mark 16, 16 means that he was saved. Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. So if Simon believed and was baptized, then he was saved. He believed Philip, who preached Christ, the things concerning the kingdom in the name of Jesus. And he was baptized. 
folks, he was saved. But then as he continued with Philip, he was wondering at the miracles. And then he saw the apostles and he was like, oh, and here's what I believe. Now, this is conjecture. All right. So we're leaving. We're leaving the realm of what we can know for 100 percent sure. And we're going into the realm of conjecture. I believe that probably what Simon the sorcerer wanted to do, he wanted to, he wanted to get some of his preeminence back. Remember, this was a man whom the people said was the great power of God. All right. Because he had him fooled with, with sorcery, with pharmacia, with, with, I think he was, I think he was dosing them with psychedelics and putting them into a highly suggestive state or a highly receptive state to his suggestion. Anyway, um, so I think that probably it was a very utilitarian thing that he did. It was a very practical thing, devoid of a whole lot of emotion when he believed Philip's preaching and he obeyed the gospel through baptism. And then whenever he saw that the apostles could do something like this, he saw a chance to differentiate himself from the others and get back some of his preeminence. And so he was just acting in a, in a, in an opportunistic self, um, self preserving type of way and trying to get back some of his status. So we've looked at the ability to fall from grace that is found right here in the scriptures. And based on what we've just talked about, I want to segue for a few minutes into something that should give all of us hope. What is your motivation? What was, for those of you that have obeyed the gospel, what was your motivation? Was it fear? Let me tell you something. I don't think you should follow Jesus every single day out of fear, but I don't think that's healthy. I, th- I think it shows a fundamental lack of faith. But if you, if you don't, if you think that faith, that fear isn't a good motivator, then you probably need to stay away from Acts chapter two, because in Acts chapter two, um, they were pricked in their hearts. Once they, once they heard a good gospel sermon about who Jesus was, they were pricked in their hearts and men and brethren, what should we do? Well, they wanted to know what to do to call on the name of the Lord. They knew that the only way they could be saved from this egregious sin, the killing of the Messiah is to call upon the name of the Lord to be forgiven. And so Peter tells them, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Folks, they were fearful. Um, that's not a bad motivator. Now, it's, it's a bad long-term motivator. All right? It's a bad long-term motivator. But I hope you don't think less of me. There are days that I've gotten up on Sunday morning where the only reason I did what I was supposed to do as a Christian man is because I was scared of going to hell. You just got to pick what motivates you that certain day. Some people need to see the light. Other, others need to feel the heat. And Mark, I think, that's, I think that's right in alignment 
with what Jude writes concerning that or, or, or about how some you save with compassion, making a difference, and some you save with uh, fear, uh, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the uh, or spotted by the flesh. That doesn't sound right. Let me let me go and let me go and read that. I think I messed it up. I don't like messing. I don't like messing stuff up. All right. And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Well, I guess I need to listen to me more often. Anyway, Mark, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Go read the book of Jude there, folks, and and you'll get the verse that I was referencing. But but that's the thing, right? We've we've got Simon the sorcerer. And I think he wants to get some of his preeminence back. He probably obeyed the gospel out of a utilitarian like a, a self-preservation. Like he 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 was a he was a charlatan for so long and he knew when the real McCoy showed up and he wanted to do every he wanted to do everything he could do to be associated with that power. And then when Peter and John got down there, then lo and behold, boom, hey, let me give you some money. I want to be able to do what you're doing. And of course, that's whenever Peter said, you're, this is wicked. You're, you're altogether in the bondage of iniquity and the gall of bitterness. But yet, that tells me that even though his motivation, more than likely, was very, very utilitarian, he was still saved. And even though he wasn't fully bought in and he was just probably acting in some out of some self-preserving way, he was still in the light. Now, once he left the light, he still had an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he was able to come back into the light. I think he was able to come back into the light. Somebody on the show yesterday asked me if I had ever heard uh, Johnny Ramsey, uh, a venerable gospel preacher, who's who the late and lamented Johnny Ramsey. Uh, he said that Simon the Sorcerer was the father of Gnosticism, and I have no idea about that. But until I until I read something that I find very very compelling, I'm going to say that more than likely because we don't have any other commentary, I think I'm going to, I'm going to at least assume the best and say that Simon, the sorcerer, uh, repented and came back to the fold. So I, I really love this account because it offers me so much hope because on the days that I'm not motivated out of 100% altruism and altruistic sacrificial service, I know that that even though my motivation is less than stellar, I'm still walking in the light as he is in the light. And if I ever slip, trip, and fall, there's hope for me because I can confess my sin before God, and God is faithful to forgive me of that sin. And 
I can rely on my Christian brothers and sisters because I can go to them and I can ask for prayers on their behalf. So of all the things that we can learn from this account of Simon the Sorcerer, I've got the subject matter of preaching, preaching Christ, the things concerning the kingdom and the authority of Jesus. And then I know that once I'm saved, if I choose, if I rebel, I can fall from grace, but the, but the, but the story's not over. If, if I have godly sorrow, I can repent and I can come back to the fold and I can even have my brothers and sisters intercede on my behalf through prayer. And I can trust in the power of the word of God and the justice and mercy and grace of almighty God, even when my vote motivations are less than stellar. Folks, I hope that you walk away from this two-part series uh, greatly edified. I hope that you consider supporting us monetarily, and the links to do that will be in the show notes, and I hope that you consider joining the Christianity Now Facebook group. And uh, yeah, that's all I've got. God bless you. This has been Tony Brewer with Cogitations. Be sure and subscribe to uh, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or TuneIn Radio. And thank you so much. Uh, God bless you. And we'll catch you on the flip side.